Welcome to Political Football with Matty Ice, Dave, and Cleve. How you guys doing? Uh, it's 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 been it's been a week. Uh, how are you, Matt? I'm doing fantastic, despite all of that. I refuse to let it get to me today. Okay, well that's uh, that's good. You know, usually we uh, you know, we start talking talk of football. You know, when the idea for the show was first had, it was like, okay, well, big political stuff will come up, and there'll be stuff in the off season. I didn't really think that we'd have an insurrection at the Capitol building in the middle of the NFL playoffs. Um, but there actually is a political story that could move football to uh, to second place. Even the election couldn't do that. Um, so I do want to talk about this a little bit. And for the listeners, I don't want to talk about the same. I mean, it happened almost a week ago. We're recording this at Tuesday afternoon. So it was almost a week ago. So most of the takes and the opinions have been out there. There's just a couple things that I had noticed. Um, that hadn't really been talked about too much or haven't been talked about enough yet. And so, you know, everybody's got to be familiar with what happened now. A bunch of MAGA idiots all stormed the Capitol because they're mad that black people voted their guy out. The thing that I wanted to talk about, though, is not just what happened on Wednesday, but police brutality in general. And there were no charges for the officer that shot Jacob Blake seven times in the back in front of his kids in Wisconsin over the summer. And I was thinking about that as I was watching the, the crazy footage from what happened at the Capitol. One lady at the Capitol was shot and killed inside the Capitol. And I don't know if, if uh, have you guys seen the video footage of this? Uh, I, I saw a little bit of it in Al Jazeera. It's pretty disturbing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's if, if you haven't seen the video yet, it's not super graphic. It's just like, you know, you're seeing a person be shot and killed. But yeah. The video, I'll just describe it briefly. So there's a set of double doors that are closed and they're wooden with like the top half basically are glass. And the rioters have now broken out the glass and they're trying to go through the barricaded double doors. On the other side of the door, there's either Camp uh, uh, Capitol Police or Secret Service. I haven't figured out who yet, but the point remains the same. On the other side with the gun aimed, and it's very clear that they have made this doorway a, a line of demarcation. You will not cross this this line. And this lady tries to climb up and go through the, the, the broken glass and the uh, police officer shoots her. Now, what stood out to me about this is that this officer, who is obviously, I mean, has to be terrified in this situation, has to be fearing for his life. I mean, the building's being overrun by an angry mob, has the presence of mind Establish the boundary, announce the boundary, the boundary gets violated, he fires one shot, it stops. He doesn't empty the clip, he doesn't panic, he just fires the one shot, and that handles the situation. And so, that's why I don't want to hear when people talk about police brutality, like you should have listened or not listened or whatever. In all these situations, these officers panic and they claim they fear for their lives. It's bullshit. There was no reason to shoot Jacob Blake at all. Certainly not seven times in the back. This guy at the Capitol knew to only shoot once because it's all he had to do. So that's one thing that, you know, I don't think people, you know, people have been talking about if the, if these, if these, uh, the writers were all black people storming the Capitol, they would have shot us all. Well, yes, everybody knows that. That's intuitive. But even when they did have to use force against these angry white writers, they still were able to do it correctly. So my, my follow-up, my follow-up for you guys on this is, you know, I'll start with Cleve. 
like when this was going on, Cleve, what was sort of going through your mind? What were some of your some of your uh, thoughts about it? Well, as being an African American, uh, and you guys know I hate that term with the passion. As being a black man in America, the one thing that I re I recall because I was talking to my mom um, as right before it happened, and I couldn't believe it was happening. I was glued to my TV, and I was waiting for like a bloodbath. I'm like, okay, they're storming a Capitol, the Capitol building, which is the Beacon Building in D.C. If you're in D.C. You can recognize everything on the mall, but the Capitol and the White House are probably the most recognizable things on a, you know, if you need from this country. And I'm like, okay, they're on, they're on federal property. They're breaching a building in a, in a mob-like fashion, and no shots were fired. I'm like, these guys are either trained very well, meaning the Capitol Police, or they're using incredible restraint. There's videos of them being overrun in the hallway where they're just getting bulldozed. And then there was one point where I saw some guys opening doors for people. Don't know what that was about. Maybe a diversion tactic. Who knows? But I'm like, okay, so they're in the building. What's what's happening? I'm thinking it's going to be crawled at that point. Then I'm seeing people on the on the on the floor and in the rotunda. And I'm like, wait a minute. This is a full-on breach here. Going back to your point about police brutality in America, the officers that shot Tamir Rice, the kid that was playing with the gun, the right. toy gun, that no charges filed. Right? Rihanna Taylor, no charges filed. You know, Jacob Blake, as we mentioned, no charges filed. And you're right to your point of it doesn't take a multitude or a heat or a or 10,000 bullets to take a suspect down. One shot, one kill. And I and I agree for the loss of that lady because she was, you know, believing in something that she ultimately died for. Was it something that she deeply believed in that they're going to have a funeral for her now? Who knows? You know, so I, I and, and then again, it's just like the the terrible hypocrisy and the terrible double standard. Um, even some of these charges that are being filed for these guys that are that have been captured and brought in. It's just like trespassing, really trespassing and, you know, breaching a building without permission. I've never even heard of some of these charges. So we'll see if anything escalates beyond that. But I do have to say before I close my little diatribe about this. The QAnon shaman guy with the horns. Yes. In, in between jobs, collecting a stimulus check, collecting unemployment, but he's the shaman and he's refusing to eat because he can't, he can't get organic meals in the lockup. So there we go. Yeah, with his body covered in white supremacist uh, tattoos. So, <laughs> yeah. so that's wonderful. Uh, hey, Matt, can you explain why your people are so crazy? <laughs> so, uh, so actually, I have, um, I have, I have some friends who, uh, one of which is he's an FBI agent. And uh, Cleve, to your point, I kind of got a little insight into how they're trying to do these charges. And so the the really low charges that they're putting out there now are basically to get them in the door, and then they're going to hit them real hard with the good stuff. Oh, so okay. that's kind of the idea: is to find them and get them in with something that we know is true like the trespassing part which is really minor in, in if you think about it but then mm -hmm. I, so that's the idea so i just wanted to give you a little bit of insight there that's not like something you were, were not supposed to know because they're allowed to say those types of things but that's the idea is to find as many of them as possible get them in the system and then really hit them hard because and they're also assuming that a lot of them have some priors as well so they can really hit, they can really hit them so I think two of you know when we break down football that I always tend to go to the higher level concepts of what's happening. And I think it's obvious that as a as a human being, seeing everything that we've seen in just the year 2020 as it relates to police brutality, it doesn't sit well with me. But 
With this particular incident, I started asking questions that go beyond just how it was handled in the moment. I want to know why it was assumed that something like this couldn't happen. Because there's no transparency to this. And there's no transparency into when no charges are filed against these officers either. We don't get a really deep look into how they're looking at this. It comes out at the end, there's no charges filed. They basically say there was no evidence. And that lack of transparency doesn't sit well. And it also optically does not look right either because how consistent is it that one shot is fired in this case multiple shots are fired in almost every one of these cases that you brought up Cleveland you brought up Dave and we still have no transparency into any of it like why were the Capitol Police not prepared for what actually happened and, and those questions I think need to be answered and there needs to be some level and of course they're not going to come out and say because you know they were white but there's a level of that that is just baked into it and that's why the lack of transparency plays even more into that like i find you know the people stepped down and were fired but it just baffles me and saddens me that we didn't think that this group of predominantly white people who have an agenda that for that fuels hate it fuels separation and it fuels so many things that go against the grain of human decency and against the grain of our country that they wouldn't be capable of something like this. And also now, if we don't, and we I use we as in like the powers that can plan for these types of things, if we don't think that there could be escalation to this, that if we think this was the final moment, then there really is something wrong. Because why, at this point, these people are just as dangerous as any other folks, no matter what they look like, white, black, brown, it doesn't matter. They're dangerous and they need to be treated as such. And I just, I couldn't get over all of that. I couldn't get over how even now, a week later, we still don't really have any answers as to why they felt that this wasn't a real threat. And it took, yeah. and it took the Republicans being scared shitless to actually come out and say that this is the, the straw. And I think that's bullshit because the straw should have been four years ago. But that's a different topic. Yes. You know what? Um, following um, Dave's intro when he said the things that have that we're not really focused on or now being brought to light. And to Matt's point, eloquently done, thank you, is there's no, there's been no briefing from the FBI, the CIA, you know, anyone from the actual event. There's no like formal briefing other than the mayor of DC, um, which again, we're getting a civics lesson guys in, in, in how the country works. DC is not a state. There's no governor to deploy national guard. Like it's a lot of stuff that has to change possibly. And, and we'll see. The thing I wanted to just highlight before we move off the subject is the fact that you had the president of, sorry, vice president-elect, current vice president, and 535 representatives, you know, between the Congress and the House. And his family was there. The vice president's family was there, right? This president did not even call to say, hey, get my guy out of there or what's going on. I think they just spoke yesterday for the first time since the, since the incident. Goes to tell you where this president's head is at when it comes to protecting people or anyone that's that's close to him. If you, if you feel like you've gone against him, you're out the door. You're left for dead. It's crazy, man. It's crazy to me. Bro. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, it's clear that Donald Trump does not care about anybody besides himself and possibly Ivanka. But that's that's it. Like, he does not, you know, Mike Pence stood by him for four years making a fool of himself you know making yeah, a fool yeah. you know i don't doubt that mike pence is actually a man of faith it's just a really shitty faith that he that he practices but like mm -hmm. i think that he he made a mockery of it to support donald trump i mean this 
this abusive womanizing cheating on his pregnant wife with porn stars i mean you're mike pence <laughs> like you're standing by yeah. this guy and for what at the end of the day like you didn't get you didn't get anything um so last thing i'll say i'm going to use this transition into football i promise is um this also got me thinking about you know because the capitol police they're called the capitol police but they're they're more of a security force for the building and the people within the building and then, of course, Secret Service is there as well. Secret Service is famously security for individuals and for buildings as well. And I think that part of what we saw here was the difference between security forces and police forces. And the restraint that we saw within the building to not just start opening up. The, the lack of fear. I don't want to say lack of fear, but the lack of letting the fear lead you to just opening fire on the angry mob. I think speaks to the difference that it takes between being a high-level security person and a just wandering the street, blue and white, giving parking tickets cop, right? Um, and to that point, I want to uh, spotlight Eugene Goodman, who is a black Capitol Police officer who literally saved the day. So when the mob first breached, and there was a huge, huge amount of them coming through, they were about 20 to 30 feet away from the Senate chamber, and the main Senate chamber door was not yet secured. It was closed and it was locked, but they had anything to secure it more than that yet. And as Eugene Goodman is being sort of chased backwards up the stairs, he glances to his left, sees that the Senate is basically wide open to these morons. And so he shoves the first one in front of him, and like goes to threaten him with a club so the lead guy follows him the other direction away from the senate so the entire mob of course follows the lead guy and so this eugene goodman this officer led this entire mob to like the other side of the building to where some other police officers were waiting where they were right there to get into the senate i mean right at the senate doors yeah um, and again and again they they should have been beaten down. I, you know, no excessive force. You don't need to kill them, but at, at least confrontational where they're they're engaging in hand to hand combat or something. Well, I think else. I think that the thought is because I think so. If you're if you're the Capitol Police and Secret Service, your primary goal is to protect the lives of the people inside, and the building is secondary. So I think yes. their thought was, we'll give them as much as the building as we can to make sure the people inside are safe. And so yes. the Eugene Goodman story sort of puts this together because as this mob's coming in, the people inside aren't safe. Like if he just pulls out his weapon and shoots the first, I don't know, 15, 16 people, and then, then his clip is empty. Well, there's still another yeah. 200 people about to hit the Senate chamber. Yeah, yeah. So, well, 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 that was the plan. You know, it's, it's by numbers. It's, it's a herd mm -hmm. of people. You know, you would think that, and I, you know, maybe I watch too many movies, but you would think that there's a panic room or something that these guys could have went to. I, I don't even know how that even works in the Capitol building or the White House or any any prominent building in D.C. of, of, of note. I don't well, know. We know the White House has, has the bunker because Donald Trump was hiding in it when uh, people were chanting for justice, <laughs> you know, three football fields away earlier in the summer. So I do want to transition here. And so, Cleve, we talked about, we talked about Eugene Goodman, who... When everything was on the line, when the pressure was the highest, and he had to perform, he did the most admirable job possible. And now we're going to talk about Philip Rivers. So we have the Indianapolis Colts twenty-four, the Bills twenty-seven. Uh, Cleve, do you have any thoughts on Phil Rivers? I, well, hey, if you guys have been listening to what I said, you know, the last couple of episodes, you know, he's not a he's not a horrible quarterback. He's actually a Hall of Famer in my eyes, but he's just not the guy that, that can get it done. He, He's the guy, I think I was telling Matt offline, he gets 
right to the playoffs, and then he bows out gracefully. Because he, he had a pretty good game, for what Matt kind of reminded me. He had a pretty good game, but it just wasn't enough to, to when it counted to get them over the hump. I just think Philip Rivers is should be done after this year. Old man Rivers should probably, I think, is it Jacoby Bissett as the uh, mm-hmm. backup? It should start, you know, start kind of getting that guy ready unless they're going to draft someone else. But uh, I think we've seen the last of Old Man Rivers. So I don't think we've seen the last of Old Man Rivers because he's got another year on his contract worth $25 million. So I think I think he's coming wow. back. He's coming back for one more for more go-around. Now, I thought the Colts played a really good game here. The thing is that the dust ball rule came into effect and got him at the end. The Colts had three different tight ends with more catches than T.Y. Hilton. Wow. Yeah, so uh, Matt, I also did note in this game from the Bills side that the Buffalo Bills cannot run the ball at all. Does that matter for them going forward? I, I don't think it does it, because if they're going to play the Chiefs, I don't necessarily think running the ball makes a difference. Uh, they're going to have to put up points to beat the Chiefs, so I, I don't think that running the ball is going to get them there. But uh, in this game, uh, Cleve, so Philip Rivers actually did play well, and I don't think that when you have always talked about the real Philip Rivers – I think mm-hmm. you met a guy who throws a pick or two in in real crunch yeah. time, and, and he did play well. The thing I, I that stood out to me in this game was that I think the Colts played probably the best game they could have. I think the Bills are just the better team, not only on paper, but on the field. And I think it's spotlighted in the fact that of the two players that received the most targets for each team, one was Stefan Diggs and the other was Michael Pittman Jr. And I think that tells you everything that you need to know about why the Bills are a better team because Stefan Diggs is a significantly better player receiving those targets. So I, I truly think that that highlights why the Colts, while a good team, are just not better than the Bills overall. Yeah, and by the way, Cleve, this is not necessarily a... Uh... Uh, this guy's still in the league, but Michael Pittman Jr. is the son of Michael Pittman, the running back for the Bucks and the Cardinals back in the day. I was I was just gonna ask you guys. That. Yep, <laughs> yep, that's uh, that that be him. Wow. So yeah, so the Bills the Bills move on, and we'll preview their game uh, next week coming up here in a little bit. But you know, we all sort of expected the Bills to win. They took care of business. The Colts played better than I thought, but it just wasn't enough to get it done. Now. A team that didn't play as well as I thought would be the Seattle Seahawks. We have the Los Angeles Rams 30 at the Seattle Seahawks 20. If it wasn't for this capital insurrection thing, I would be way more heated about Pete Carroll. But, you know, it's harder to be so mad at a football coach with all this going on. But I don't know. If I if there was like a crazy website I could join to formulate a plan to storm the Seattle Seahawks headquarters and take it over and force a, <laughs> force a change in leadership, I might I might think about it because, like, this is this is insane. I cannot understand why. They were losing this game. They were losing this game. Cleve, the Seahawks were losing this game for most of the game. How many pass attempts did Russell Wilson have? 11. 27. He completed 11 27. and 27. He threw the ball 27 times in a game where they were losing. The path to, to winning for the Seahawks is so easy to see and so clear. And they were doing it. They were doing it. And they just decided that they were going to get away from it. And honestly, I, it's to the point where this game, the game has completely passed Pete Carroll by. He's a complete donkey. He doesn't know what he's doing anymore. He's basically Mike McCarthy. But more like a do you think? Do you think something is wrong with Russ? That we're going to hear in the offseason that he might have had shoulder surgery or his, his elbow was bad what, or something? Yeah, what's think? wrong with Russ is that his coach is an idiot that doesn't know what to do to win football games anymore. He thinks that he's just going to run the ball, control the clock, and help out his defense, and really help out the defense. They scored 30 points 
at 23. They got to pick six. But still, like, you scored 20 points in a playoff game and lost, and you threw the ball 27 times. You know, I just, I don't understand what they're thinking well, at all. Um, I mean, we should not be surprised. This is the same Pete Carroll that called probably arguably the most boneheaded play in the Super Bowl, and he dismantled probably one of the greatest defenses that we've had to note um, to pay their quarterback, rightfully so, but it shouldn't be at the peril of dismantling. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't so, rightfully so if they're yeah. going to throw the ball. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Like, so what was the point of you even doing all of that? And like you said, let Russ cook. Is it, wasn't that the formula? Wasn't that the formula? Yeah, and it was know. working. It was working so well. Uh, Matt, you got any thoughts on this? I do. Um, so one thing I think is true about Pete Carroll is, at least from the pundits and not necessarily us, but he seems to get the benefit of the doubt for one, his longevity, and two, his resume. But in watching this game where Sean McVay, who had a superior defense, yes, but he had his backup quarterback, Wolford, go out early, and he had to throw Goff out there who basically almost couldn't grip or throw the ball, mm -hmm. right? And I have to wonder, like, is McVay the better coach? And we're just not, we're giving Pete, Pete Carroll way too much credit because what I actively saw, and I think I even highlighted it for a couple of weeks on this show, where I was hesitant about the Seahawks because it felt like Pete Carroll actively coached against the strengths of the team and is even on record saying that they're going to run the ball more next year, which is not the strength of the team given what they have talent-wise in the passing game. And I just wondered, like, McVeigh, is, is he the better coach right now? And that game was just the highlight and for everybody should be seeing that fact. I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I think McVay is clearly the better coach than Pete Carroll right now. I mean, honestly, I, I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't, you know, people like to say this. I think if they let me call the plays in Seattle, I'd have a better chance of winning because I would literally only call a run play like 10% of the time. Like, you know, just you have DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and Russell Wilson. What are you doing? What are you doing? I mean, the thing that's so irritating for me about this, and Matt, you might not be able to relate, relate to this as a Patriots fan because your team is, like, good and wins, but Cleve, you might. Like, the Seahawks are good. They have a good team. They have the Jets' best player in Jamal Adams. They have these great wide receivers, this amazingly efficient, efficient quarterback, and they're just choosing to suck, right? Like, why is it the Jets what? do suck? But the Seahawks are yeah. choosing you to fail, and it's 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 actually insulting. Like, just give that spot to the Lions. You know what I mean? Did you see that Adams had multiple surgeries today? Yeah, yeah, like both shoulders. <laughs> yeah, both shoulders and 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 one hand, three fingers. So obviously these guys are out here, like you said. If you're gonna give your all and be out there doing your thing, then what the fuck? At least coach it up. Scheme yeah, it up, no. Steve Absolutely. The last thing I want to say in this game, too, you know, Matt did mention that Jared Goff had to come into this game after Wolford had a neck injury. So Jared Goff clearly was in a lot of pain. He could barely hold the ball, could barely throw the ball. Every time he did, he's like grabbing at his hand. I, I mean, he's just out there playing with a broken thumb on his throwing hand. And this tells me that, you know, he's not the greatest quarterback in the world. He's also not the worst. But that the sort of toughness and dedication needed to play through that yeah. sort of pain tells me that off the field, he's probably doing everything he can to maximize the ability that he does have. So he's probably going to yeah. get a little bit better because he's still so young. You know, and I think, yeah, go ahead, Matt. and I think, I think McVeigh also sees that too. And McVeigh also plays and tries to maximize the strengths of what he has, which is what I was saying about Carroll, how mm -hmm. he seems to always be put in the top five discussion, but yet 
he's not maximizing what he has and McVeigh is and Goff is taking advantage of that like I thought it was extremely ballsy that he performed as well as he did under the circumstances when if I had a surgically repaired thumb I don't even think I'd want to do a whole lot of things let alone go out there and risk my life playing football in a game that mattered and he stepped up and they won and I thought that was impressive yeah a- absolutely so I think that speaks a lot to uh to Jared Goff and his his dedication to the game uh the next game we have here <laughs> We have the Bucks 31 and the Washington football team 23. And the first note I wrote was, yeah, that was about right. Um, not too much to say on this game because not too much to say about the football team. For me, besides the fact that uh, Taylor Heineke, uh, who came in, uh, can actually he can actually play a little bit of ball here. Please get a load of Taylor Heineke's stat line. 26 of 44, 306 yards, one touchdown, one pick, four carries, 46 yards, and a touchdown. Sorry. I mean, yeah, in a, in a playoff game, I mean, you know, like Matt likes to say, that's a uh, that's a career backup quarterback, probably. He helped himself, and I love when guys help themselves. I love it. But I, I also love loved that they let him do his thing. So I feel like so often when a, a backup comes in, they try to, uh, you know, ho- pull the reins a little bit to, to let not let them make any mistakes, but they let him gun it out there. And, yeah, he did help himself. But I wonder, Dave... Because uh, he went from, it was like within a two-hour window, he went from becoming a cult favorite to, oh, wait, we're going to cancel him. <laughs> because we found out <laughs> all about his Twitter history and how he doesn't actually debate anybody because he doesn't want to get canceled. I thought that was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I mean, listen, That's great. he was an undergrad at Old Dominion like two weeks ago. So, <laughs> you know, undergrads <laughs> posting the things on Twitter. It's what they do. We're not, you know, it's... uh. They do, but from a football standpoint, he was impressive. But I, I thought the the aftermath was really funny because so many people were like, "Man, I love this guy." Then they're like, "Ah, never mind, I'm good." Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not seen his Twitter system like the sort of Nick Bosa, MAGA type. You got it. Oh, that's correct. So wait a minute, did he, oh, did he pull a Mason Rudolph? When, and when all that stuff popped off, Mason erased his entire Twitter account. I don't know. And, but people people had stuff about, about his MAGA stuff. Let's so just say I remember let's that. just say if you go through his like history, you'd find some things that the three of us would wholeheartedly disagree with. I clutch our curls? <laughs> all right. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Well, okay. Well, so, so he's a shitty person, probably. But that's okay. You know, because we're discussing context of, in the context of uh, football here. As long as he never runs for office or yeah. storms the capital. Wait a second. He's in town. Yep. Because they hosted that game. We got to make sure. We got to check his phone log and make sure we don't find his phone in the Capitol building. See if he owns a pair of horns and some yes. face paint. <laughs> there um, you go. So, Dave, do you think the Bucks are fast? Yes. I, I, this, nothing, everything that I said has happened would happen. And that's not a humble brag because after they lost to the Chiefs and they had their bye week, I said they're going to win the rest of the games of the regular season. Then they would go to the winner of the NFC East and they would win that game easily. And then they would get totally exposed in the next round. So now it's time for them to get totally exposed in the next round. You know, they, they've they been playing well these last few weeks, but they played the Falcons twice, the Lions uh, Washington, and I can't remember the other team they played in the regular season, but it was some other dumpster fire trash squad. So, yeah, good. Good for them, but they're fraudulent, and they're about to get totally let exposed. Me, so let me ask you, if Tom has a Super Bowl berth, what are you are you willing to give this guy a, uh, a, um, a pass or an apology or what? what, like, what I have, I have nothing negative to say about Tom Brady's ability to win football games, and I never have. Uh, y- y'all forget I'm OG exactly. with Tom Brady. He's been winning games for me a lot longer than he was winning them for Matt. 
Oh, uh, so yeah. Uh, you know, you forget Tom Brady's last game at Michigan was a bowl win over Alabama. So he's yeah, he's he's a winner. Yeah. So the Bucks are fraudulent. Tom Brady is not fraud. Like none of the players individually are fraudulent, right? It's just that the team has not come together well. And they were struggling in the middle of the season. And I don't think they actually fixed anything. Their competition just got really, really soft. And now it's about to get hard okay. again. And they're about to get exposed again. They're not terrible. They're not bad. They don't deserve to miss the playoffs. They're just not as good as the record. And they haven't had to, had to play anybody real in like a month and a half. Gotcha. Yep. Okay. Uh, the next game the next game we have here was good for Madden. It took the AFC South out of the playoffs. We have the Ravens 20 and the Titans 13. And uh, Cleve, this game was all about the running games. Derrick Henry, 18 carries for 40 yards. Lamar, 16 carries, 136 in a touchdown. Yeah, I, I think um, what I was seeing was, and, and I think there was a dressing down by Rabel of um, of Derrick Henry on the sideline. I don't know if you guys caught that. Um, he's getting an earful for something. I, I don't know if Derrick Henry was saying, hey, you know, this eight in the box, or Rabel's like, run the fucking ball. Like, what are you doing? So, I don't know. Um, yeah, Lamar had a, he had a day. And I, I actually, you know, I, I see where I think you were saying early in the season where he's a real yeah. problem. Like he's, you know, w- when he he can throw, but when he's dialed in, man, they're hard. They're going to be hard to beat. They're going to be hard to beat. Yeah. So. Uh, so, Matt, you had mentioned sort of offline that you had some thoughts about the the pers- uh, perception of Lamar because he hadn't won a playoff game yet. And uh, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. So I was really surprised when I turned on the broadcast and they were speaking to this narrative that Lamar couldn't win a playoff game. And I I was doing something with my son and I immediately turned to the television and I had this look on my face and my wife asked me like, well, what's the problem? And I was like, how can there be a narrative on a guy who has had two games? But if you really think about it, his first real chance as you know like a polished or you know mostly polished player was last year and good teams lose all the time and i just started thinking about well why is this the narrative of this broadcast like i i don't understand how somebody could have this monkey on their back with such a small sample size and then it dawned on me that it seems like it's a very racially motivated thing because i started thinking about interactions that i've had with other people about quarterbacks specifically prospects that are coming out guys in the league and it's like nobody seems to give a pass to guys like kyler guys like Demar. they're always well running quarterbacks can't do it and to me running quarterbacks always seem to be black quarterbacks but yet well this guy's great mac jones is great because he plays in a pro style offense and i was thinking (laughs) well he's also white too and that's just interesting and i thought the narrative is kind of bullshit to be honest like why are we not pinning this narrative on other young white quarterbacks when they lose a playoff game or two or three like how long did it take us to pin that on Peyton that he couldn't win the big one right and I I just don't like it because it seems I mean as a statistician a sample size of two but really in my mind one because the first playoff game he didn't start that whole year they really had no idea how to plan around his abilities. If you re- if you remember that game, I mean, he played abysmally, but the, the team in general had no idea what to do with his with his talents and his uh, his skill set. And the next year, they did, and even this year, they do. And I think that's more indicative. But like, it'd be one thing if he had five or six games under his belt, but basically one, I think it's just absolute crap that he had that narrative. And I think there's more to it than just wins and losses. Whose take was it? I need to know. Put it out there. I don't even know whose take it was. It was just the, it was the theme of the broadcast of 
the ESPN broadcast, and also I saw a lot of people saying Lamar finally wins a playoff game, and I'm like, finally, you're acting Holy like it's just been a decade. It's been two years, basically. And okay, they lost the game last year to the Titans. Uh, but like I said, good teams lose all the mm-hmm. time. Yeah, so I mean, I have a couple of thoughts on this. The first thing is, I don't know who was doing this broadcast, but it had better not have been Tony Romo. Oh, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was the Monday Night Football crew who I. Did. Oh, okay. So it's Brian Greasy. Um, yeah, who? Brian Greasy, Steve Levy, and I think p- potentially almost a, a, a future member of the Detroit Lions front office. Lou yeah, Lou Riddick. Lou Riddick would be okay, but um, yeah. So Brian Greasy. National champion at Michigan, Rose Bowl MVP, Jesus. and it was all downhill from there. Like uh, Tom Brady launched his career at Michigan, awesome. Brian Greasy ended his career at Michigan. So I'm not surprised to hear him have some of these uh, these terrible opinions. As it pertains to this overall general idea, I think that we need to, um, you know, when we look at sports, especially in a sport like football where they don't play that many games and the game has a lot of variance within it. That you can have a lot, such a wide range of outcomes that you cannot really make solid judgments about anybody's ability in terms of wins or losses in the playoffs, probably ever. Um, even even somebody like Tom yeah. Brady, um, Matt, you might be able to speak to this, but we can't know yet that he hasn't just been really lucky, and that if he made the if he could play. This, these playoffs that he's played a hundred times each that they wouldn't lose way more times than they win and he's just gotten really lucky to bink you know a number of Super Bowls right because the sample size is just so small so forming narratives around a, results in the playoffs yeah. is crazy isn't it I have a great example for that uh, I don't know if you two remember the 2006 playoff game where they went to San Diego to play the Chargers and Tom threw a pick and that interception was then fumbled, which the Patriots recovered and then marched down the field and scored. Like, if that fumble doesn't occur, the Patriots lose that game, and that's a knockout. You know, right. like, so that's that's a perfect example of Tom getting the credit for something like that, and many others. I mean, any of those snow games where a bounce went here, a bounce went Talk there. Talk uh, Yeah, I mean, those are those yeah. are valid. I mean, even this, even the. The first giant Super Bowl they lost. I mean, that catch on the helmet and everything. Well, how many other times does a catch like that take place? Right. And so that yeah. would have been a win for them. And then the whole narrative is completely different. I agree with you, Dave. Like, I don't think you can do that. And sometimes stuff just happens that has nothing to do with the quarterback. Like, when we see, when like, it, it'd be one thing if Lamar, you know, fumbled three times, had a couple picks, and they lost. It, but when a player has a really good game or the other team just stifles you like that happens all the time and it's not an indicative on one player's ability to win it's indicative on the team's ability to win and i don't like the fact that lamar gets stuck with this onus when it's the ravens who haven't really won anything of significance since they won the super bowl nine years ago you got to your point both of you get made excellent points when um big ben the shoestring tackle and was it the colts game when uh, Jerome Bettis fumbled at mm-hmm. the like at the goal line, and it was like a it was like a, a game saving touchdown tackle made by by Big Ben to keep them into the Super Bowl situation. So, yeah, it's unfair to to do that. And 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 again, Matt, great point about sometimes the bias. Like it's even if it's subtle, 
that, that it's there that we don't get these things said about other right i mean i think i think both things are true i think that i'm correct that this is a stupid narrative to have because mathematically and logically doesn't make any sense and then of course this stupid illogical thing gets applied mm -hmm. more to black players than to, than to white players right well i get that we have yeah. i get that we have to create content but remember we we i say we but like that narrative was created about lebron for how long that he didn't want to take the big shot when it's so very clear that he's like one of the top two talented <laughs> players in the league like and i get that basketball is a little different because you play more games and there's less players on the court so you influence the game more but i just don't understand i don't understand why that narrative gets applied to seemingly more black or non-white players than uh, the other way around now in basketball there's not really that many white players who are influential so i get that but you get well, listen idea. kevin love can never win the big one until no um I, I <laughs> so uh before we move on here cleave uh i'm sure you remember you know when michael jordan was a young player and you were in your early 40s um there was a narrative that michael jordan couldn't win all the way up until the point that he won and he was playing with a bunch of scrubs up until that point too. Like that, there are so, so many factors that go into right. And so, not right. And so this this idea that like oh they can't win or they haven't won. The fact that people spent like eight years saying Jordan couldn't win, right? Or LeBron <laughs> can't win. Yeah, shut up. Like we just don't know yet. You know, yeah. it hasn't happened yet. Be quiet. So I completely agree that that's a stupid narrative for many reasons, and it probably started with Dan Orlovsky. Um, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> the next the next game we have here. We have the Bears at nine at the Saints twenty-one, and the first thing I wrote down for this game was, "Yeah, that's about right." This game was Saint. The Saints were favored by ten and a half, and I said I was going to take the Bears in the points, so I needed the Bears to lose by uh, ten or less. And it was twenty-one to nine. They were going for a two-point conversion, and they didn't make it. So I just hate the Bears all the way around. Matt, do you have any thoughts here, though, on Mitch Trubisky? Oh, I have them for my feel-good story of the day. However, uh, this th this game was so funny because as soon as that uh, that trick play that was completely whiffed, it wasn't dropped, it was completely whiffed. As soon as that happened, I said to myself, the Saints know they're going to win this game. It doesn't really matter what happens after right now because the Bears couldn't put together another offensive play that even remotely looked that successful. And they were never in it. It was 7-3 at halftime, and I thought, that's basically done. Like, it's the Saints, all they needed to do was get past three at this point, and they're good. But I have some thoughts on Mitch for a little bit later. But, Mitch, have a good offseason. Love you, buddy. All right, excellent. And the only other thought that I have on this game is that uh, I think Allen Robinson is a free agent this year or could force his way out this year. I'm not an expert at the, uh, these contract things. Like, they're so confusing. But I'm pretty sure he can get out of Chicago this year if he wants. And, dude, please please go somewhere and go somewhere that already has a, a good quarterback in place. I mean, we are just being robbed by not being able to see Allen Robinson play with a, with a good quarterback. This dude is so good at the wide receiver position. Just go to, I don't know, Houston and play with Deshaun or Arizona and play with Kyler. Just go somewhere where the quarterback is set and do some good. I'm sure Cam would take him in New England. I said with a good quarterback. What I'm just saying. What's the so so asking you guys a serious question? What's the well? We now obviously know we obviously know that he was drafted way above the station. But what is what is his problem? Is it is it the arm decision making, um, clutch performances, non clutch? Like what is his what's what's Mitch's problem other than being drafted so high? You first, Matt. Well, the offensive play calling for the Bears sucks. First of all, I mean. They don't have any downfield component consistently whatsoever. But I think Mitch's problem, and I, I it was shown in this game, I, I think, and in, in other games mostly, 
he's he's inaccurate compared to what the new standard for accuracy is in the NFL, right? Like if you're below 60%, you're not starter worthy because that's not what you're looking for these days when it is a passing uh, you know, a passing heavy league. And I also think that he just is not like some players have it and some players don't. Uh, some decisions he makes are not very good, but I, I don't think that he has the talent befitting of where he was drafted. And also, we've talked about how players need to be drafted in the right situation. I don't think the Bears was the right situation, despite the fact that he fit the culture. So yeah. I, I I really agree with that last point, and I have a bit of a different take on this because I've been thinking about it and watching for a little bit. I actually think Mitch Trubisky is a starting quarterback in the NFL. I just don't think he is quite there yet. This is because he was overdrafted. He was shoved in way too soon. Um, you know, he's like, in hindsight, it is very obvious that Mitch Trubisky should have sat for two full seasons before ever seeing the field. Right? That that, yeah. that would have made that would have made the most sense. I think that th- he is talented enough, and I think that he can be good enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. Like, I don't think that I think that it's very likely that three years from now he's one of the thirty-two best quarterbacks in the world. He just needs to figure out what he needs to do to be able to get to that point. And good fit is exactly the right thing here. He needs to go somewhere, sit behind somebody who's really good, learn a bit, and then have a chance to go in and play again somewhere else. It's a decent situation. Not a team with no wide receivers. Not a team with a shitty head coach. Not a team that, you know, has no running game. I think that this guy could be like a Rich Gannon situation where he's like average forever and then just explodes when he puts it all together for a year or two. Oh, um, that's why. Go ahead. That's why I asked about the. That's why I asked about the about the the, the problems and you guys pretty much answered answered the way I knew you were going to answer it. It's it's more so a concoction of things. Yes. But but you know at this point of his career, um, to teach him accuracy, you know that's to be seen. But to see, you know, him develop as a quarterback, the skill traits, the the clutch gene to win, like that, teaching those things. So I, I, I was just curious as to what your takes were about what's wrong with Mitchell Trubisky. Right. Like if we, if you know, when we're when we're talking about the 2025 NFL season, and we're talking about Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, and Mitch Trubisky, I would not be shocked at all. If Mitch Trubisky is the is considered the best quarterback of the three of them. Yeah, wow. you know, it's, it's going to take a little yeah. bit to get there. And I think accuracy, when I talk about him being inaccurate, I mean, you can fix accuracy because isn't Sam Bradford like the most uh, accurate quarterback in a single game or something <laughs> like that? Because if you're only throwing to wide receivers and tight ends and checking down, you can be accurate as shit. But I mean, accurate in the sense of 10 yards or more down the field. And I think some of that has to do with play calling. And I think the decision-making that I alluded to can be better under better coaching and a better fit. Yeah. If that's the case, then Kurt Warner is probably the most accurate of all time because he had a track, he had a track star uh, receiving core. Remember that? You just throw it up and guys go. So, And then Culpepper with Moss. It's like 100%. 100 out of 100. You, you hit Moss in stride, you're to touch that. And don't forget, don't forget about your childhood <laughs> hero, Daryl LaMonica. <laughs> you got to bring that up, huh? <laughs> Throwing throw uh, Freddie Bolitnikoff in a Cliff Branch out there. Um, nice. So we have one more game to review before going to the preview for next week. In this game, oh my goodness, we have the Cleveland Browns 48, the Steelers 37. This game was absolutely bonkers. Just <laughs> totally nuts. 
Um, from a daily fantasy sports perspective, this game just completely turned everything about the day and the weekend around, right? Because there were so many points scored and all these players scored points. It was just, just insane. Uh, the Browns got out to a 28 to nothing lead, aided by a snap over Ben Roethlisberger's head on the very first play of the game that the Browns recovered in the end zone for a touchdown. So they just got spotted a free seven points. And a friend mm-hmm. of mine, my friend Jeff, who is not a huge football fan, but like he watches a little bit, you know, he texted me and he said, is that free seven points, is that going to be enough for the Browns to win this game? Because his dad is a big Browns fan. And I said, no, they need one more. And they're like, they scored, they got the ball back. They ran three offensive plays and scored a 50-yard touchdown to Jarvis Landry. And I was like, that's it. That's what they're going to need because they're going to they're gonna lose the rest of the game by double digits. Um, and that's exactly what ended up happening. The the thing, though, that to take away from this game for me, because it was so crazy, it was such a wild game that it's hard to really nail down what happened. Uh, the Browns, though, could not stop Pittsburgh passing the ball. Like, they just could not stop it at all. And given uh, who the Browns now have to play this weekend, that could be a bit of an issue. Yeah. Matt, yeah. what do you think? So, I, I overall, I felt like the weekend was mostly disappointing in terms of excitement. But this was the feel-good moment of the weekend for me because it was just awesome to see it. Uh, I questioned whether this was bad timing for the COVID stuff, losing your coach, plus playing the same team again you know with with their full complement but it was so great to see the browns come out and do what they did because it, it just it just was like this fan base much like the two of you you know your fan bases need something they needed this right like it was a it was cathartic in a way and i think even if they get stopped by the chiefs this is a building block but a couple things about this game uh one I, it felt like the the Steelers were completely unprepared for this moment in a way that is unacceptable given the fact that they are a Mike Tomlin coach team. Uh, they came out completely flat, and sure, the end score looks like as if the game was a shootout, but we all three know that the game was not really close in that regard. Uh, and again, running the football continues to plague this team, and I think it comes down to offensive line play, not necessarily just the running back stinking, but... At, at, at some point, something stopped being successful to the point that when you see this this stat line for, for Connor, 11 attempts, 37 yards, you yeah. think, well, they, they were down by a lot, so that makes sense. However, let's go over the last few games that he's had. 9 for 37, 5 for 21, 10 for 18, 13 for 89, which was the only aberration in this. 13 of 36 for 36, 9 for 22, 15 for 47. And a majority of those games were wins. <laughs> something is wrong there for that team because sure ben looks great thrown for 500 yards but that's because the game dictated that and four picks and four picks well yeah of course but i mean as we've talked about when you throw the ball 68 times yeah the likelihood of you throwing picks is go go it goes up significantly and i just feel like they have a they have a totality problem and if they bring ben back again they need to refigure out what they're going to do because they came in completely unprepared, but I think that it was leading up to this. I said when Dave asked if they could lose the division, and I said it's more likely they'll lose in the first weekend. This is exactly what I was envisioning. Yeah, wow. this game this game was bonkers. I just wanted to give the full Ben Roethlisberger stat line here. Uh, 47 of 68, 501 yards, four touchdowns, and four picks. That is that is like the most epic <laughs> we're losing 20 to nothing in the first quarter stat line. That's actually what it should look like. Um because the four picks 
once you're behind by that much, you have to be taking shots. You have to be making risky throws. You got to be trying to get huge chunks. So the interception rate's going to go up if you're playing the game correctly once you're losing. Um, now, the thing, though, is Cleve, do you have anything you would like to say to Mr. Baker Mayfield? Yeah, so um, I uh, I took liberties and shots the minute Baker was drafted after I saw the Hard Knocks episode. I felt that he was kind of an entitled guy and he comes in and he's not that good. And then I realized, you know, getting getting a good look at what he dealt with going to Cleveland of all places that they had, you know, shaky coaching. Uh, it was very dysfunctional. The GM, I don't know, GM likes to get unquestionable guys in, I guess. I don't know. But um, speaking to his skill, whatever he he's done in the last two years, who he's talked to, who's mentoring him, who maybe he's just humbled himself and says, you know what, I have an opportunity here to be something great. What he pulled, what he pulled off, and he can actually hedge his hat and says, you know what, you guys made a great pick bringing me in here because he played lights out and he looks like a different Baker Mayfield. So I tip my hat when I'm wrong, and I was, you know, at least for right now, I'm wrong about this guy coming in being an NFL quarterback because I thought he didn't have the right temperament or leadership skills and whatever, but the guys are all our flat out baller. So Mr. Mayfield, I am sorry that I cast aspersions on your name and I, I wish you guys well in the next uh, game coming up. Um, one more thing I want to add about the Steelers because I'm going to give the keys to the DeLorean to one of you guys for next week. I told you that the Steelers, this like running the ball was going to be bad and I'm thank you for the, for the stat line, Matt, that they couldn't even break 70 yards. Right. Um, Connor, you know, they couldn't even break 70 yards. And that, and we don't know. We we grew up, all of us grew up in the time where Steelers had running backs that were killed. And the fact that that hurt them, that their aging quarterback has to do that. And lastly, for me on this game, if that wasn't a Mike Tomlin coach, if Mike Tomlin wasn't the coach, that coach would be fired today. Because you started 11-0 before they had yeah. their first loss. And then you pretty much took a shitter from there. You, I mean, well, you had one more win where you guys, you know, they had to struggle it out, but it's it, a collapse. It was a collapse. So yeah, Ben was crying and he, he should be crying because we may not see him next year. He says, hopefully they want me back, but we'll see. Yeah. I don't want I don't him back either. That. Fuck Ben Roethlisberger. <laughs> um, you know, yeah, I just, I, I, I need him to be done. I need him off my screen. I need him out of this league. Every time his name comes up or I see him, like, I, it just makes me angry and mad. And so, yeah, like, I know yeah, why. it's, yeah, I so it's why. just like, you know, it's it's one of those things where, you know, obviously he's going to be playing. He's going to be in the league. I put up with them. But, you know, anytime I have to click his name in a DFS lineup or something like that, because the math doesn't care what crimes you got away with, you know, you just got to play the right plays. Like, it just makes me so mad. So yeah, I need I need this guy gone. If Tomlin gets fired, how long does it take for him to get a phone call? Within two hours. Well, I don't know how uh, phone calls do those travel at the speed of light because it would take exactly that long. <laughs> I was gonna say, like, does every team that's in the market for a coach call him the second that that drops? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's he's not going anywhere. He's, you know, because the thing too is that the team, it's pretty easy to diagnose what's wrong with the team, and it ain't the coaching. So. No, I don't. Yeah, I agree. Coaching. I agree. But he's a black head coach, and you never know. They might just be like, you know, we gotta instead of parting ways mutually, we're gonna fire you because I noticed that that happens a lot with black head coaches. They get fired. The white head coaches mutually. Part yeah, except the Rooney Rule is named for the Pittsburgh ownership family, so I doubt that they're exactly on the I same know. 
the same the same page. But yes, no, that is that is true. He would not get as much leeway. You know, I think I think that he's going to be perfectly fine there. I think they really like him there. I do think though that if they do bring bring Ben back next year, he may voluntarily leave after next season. Yeah, I, I, I would because I don't I don't I don't need Ben anymore. Well, done. I mean, well, let's say Ben Roethlisberger comes back next year. Tomlin comes back too. They make one more run. Then Ben retires and Tomlin goes, I've been here for like 14 years. Um, I just want to change. I just want to change it up. I'm going to go coach the Cowboys or whatever. Because that job yeah. will be open next year. Yep. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, okay. Yes. So now moving on. Moving on to the games coming up. Uh, oh, oh, whoa, sorry. oh, before that, before you do that, we, we got to talk about the Eagles situation. Okay. Okay. That's a couple minutes. Yes, that's a, that's a good point. I don't want to get too too deep in the weeds, too deep on yeah. the weeds, because we will do an entire episode about coaching when everything is wrapped up. However, we do need to mention that the Philadelphia Eagles did fire their coach, who won a Super Bowl like three years ago or whatever. Uh, yeah, fresh. Yeah. Up. So, Cleve, I know you had some you had some thoughts on this that were a little bit different from mine. So, why don't you go first? Yeah. So, I I totally I totally think that um, the Carson Wentz situation. Um, played into it because today I, I saw something online where um, Wentz's probability of, of leaving the team went down significantly that Peter, uh, Peterman was fired. So obviously there was a dust up. Uh, there was rumblings that Wentz wasn't happy with his demotion from starting to uh, back up. And um, I think he went into the owner's office and said, hey, listen, you guys are paying me a king's ransom. And... Um, I can I can win some games for you guys. So I think he hitched his cart to the wrong guy because the guy probably said, you know what, they're, they're paying me. And if they trade me, they're going to lose big, you know, a lot of dead money. So I think um, I think Carson did him in. I think Carson really went. And we're going to be kind of intrigued to see how this plays out next year in camp with Jalen, you know, is he going to get a battle for the job or are they going to say, once you're back in the fold? Uh, because we got all our guys back and want to see what you want to do. So that was my take on the whole Peter. And and it goes to show you that your currency from a championship doesn't mean shit in this league because three years ago was three years ago. That that wasn't that far a long ago that this guy brought the, the only Super Bowl to the city. And Philly's Philly's done with you. We're we're over it. Matt, wow. what do you think? I think what this ultimately comes down to is even with the equity that he had earned from his championship, the the organizations are much more invested in the players financially yep. than they are the coaches. Yep. And I think that, that that really comes into play. I mean, Carson Wentz did not play very well, but think about how much more money they have invested in him over a longer period of time than they do Doug Peterson. And also, if the totality of the situation dictates that not only is the Carson Wentz relationship fractured, but the relationship with the other players is also fractured to the point that his decision making, play calling and other things are questioned as a whole. That team is never going to be successful, no matter whether he's won a championship or not. Eventually, the Patriots and Belichick will have to make that decision, too, because at some point. He loses his touch or his connection with the players and it doesn't work anymore. And I think that it I think Carson Wentz had a lot to do with it because I think the poor play and the benching ultimately highlighted a lot of the things that seem to be percolating under the under the surface. And the Eagles and and their owner are looking at it honestly from a business perspective they want to win in the future and they've got a lot of money invested in Carson. So they they would eat more easily get rid of their head coach 
then get rid of their player who because whoever takes him now has to be saddled with that in some yep. fashion so i think yep. it's multifaceted uh and honestly I have to say, you know, if you're if you have a chance to win in the future and can bring in somebody who can energize a team, granted that team has a lot of issues besides the coaching too. Like there are a lot of broken elements to it that need to be addressed, but I think it's much more complicated than just Carson once brought the team down. I think it goes all the way up to the organizational level and looking at it from a like balance sheet perspective sometimes. Now we know that that the orders that come from the top to pull Jalen out the game because if that was the case then he could easily said hey you know what I pulled the guy out to see what our fourth year guy had so you know so I don't, like, yeah I don't think it was anything that. that uh that like small or that micro I think to me this looks like a toxic workplace environment and Doug Peterson was probably the problem yeah um that's that's what yeah. it looks like to me from the outside now Cleve both of our teams have open head coaching positions so I'm going to give you two coaches and if you had to pick one of these two people to coach the Jets, I want you to tell me who you'd rather have. Would you rather have Doug Peterson, who just got fired from the Eagles, or Frank Reich, who's the current head coach of the Colts? Ooh, shit. Wow. Wow. Uh, right. I would take Frank and so Reich. Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator on the Eagles team that won the Super Bowl. And so it's very possible yeah. that Doug Peterson was more along for the ride and that the real coaching camp was with Frank. That, that's I know I know I know why you queued me up with that. That's exactly why Yeah, and I'd rather have Frank Reich for the Lions than Doug Peterson too. Like I think I think it's very and, and, and Frank Reich and Carson Wentz had a very close relationship from, from what I've read. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. So it's yeah, no so it's possible that really Frank Reich was the key to that Super Bowl win. He's not there anymore. So really what are you doing by still holding on to holding on to Peterson? Because I do think that winning a championship recently does still carry some currency, but it yep. it can't buy your way out of a shitty situation. It can buy your way out of an okay situation. Yeah. It can buy your way out of a a mediocre situation. It can get you hired to be the coach of the Cowboys when you suck like Mike McCarthy. But but like when the situation is <laughs> a disaster, like the Eagles had obviously become I don't think that it matters that he won a Super Bowl three years before. I don't think it would have mattered if they won the Super Bowl last year, honestly. So, wow. so that's yeah. that's my take on that. It'll be very interesting, though. The Eagles' situation really does switch up this job market a little bit. So in the offseason, we'll have a full coaching carousel once everything sort of settled and we know where everybody's going. And the Eagles will be very interesting to talk about. Gotcha. All right, sweet. Now we have our witching hour, our last 15 minutes. We're going to devote to. Yep. So I'm going to go over. We have four games coming up. I'm going to go over the games. I'm going to give the spread on the games as well. Uh, but I'm going to I'm going to do like last week. I did it inadvertently where I gave the spread after you guys gave your opinions. I'm going to do that again to see how the opinions line up with the spread. So uh, we're going to go in order that the games will be played. So Saturday at 4:35, we have the number one seed Packers hosting the number six seed Los Angeles Rams. Cleve, what do you think? Uh, Packers. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Packers. I mean, come on. Thumb. I was going to say, yeah, sorry, I, I think Packers in a much closer game than than could be anticipated given the Rams defense. Because if they're playing that hot the way that they did against the Seahawks, you know, they could be disruptive. Yep. But I, I do think that the Packers should be the better team there, especially if Goff is going to have no thumb. So we've got Goff with no thumb. We have... The Packers rested and ready to go. The Packers are probably just the better team in general uh, because of the quarterback situation. And the team from L.A. has got to go to Green Bay in January. 
Yes, and that's that's the other part of that. That that's where the home field. Yeah, so I up. actually like the so, Packers yeah. here quite a bit. The most important thing though being the golf thumb situation. If they come out, they're like his thumbs to the point to where we can just shoot him full of steroids and he won't feel a thing. Well, then maybe you know that that changes it a little bit because I do think the Rams. You know, the Rams are such great individual pieces with Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald on defense. They could actually pose a problem to anybody that they play. But I do think the Packers will win it here. So the spread in this game is the Packers are favored by seven points. Uh, Cleve, does that change? You know, are you still thinking, oh, the Packers just absolutely smash them here? No, I, I'm going to stick with my original prediction. I think with the with the home field advantage situation and then Goff's thumb um, and the Packers are rested. Those three are great rest. Yep, and then Matt, you about seven, probably what you were thinking. Yeah, yeah. So that's. You know, I think I think that line's actually perfectly perfectly fair if Goff is healthy. I think if Goff's thumb is is injured and they can't do anything on offense the way the Packers can explode on offense, the Packers. I'm with Cleve. I think the Packers could just absolutely roll them here. Um, and we'll see if Sean McVay uh, bounces to uh, Jacksonville. Okay, yeah. so that was that was Saturday at 4:30. They don't have the games listed in order here. That's very irritating. So the next game we have Saturday at 8:15 p.m. We have the number two seed Buffalo Bills hosting the number five seed Baltimore Ravens. And again, this game, yeah, this game is going to be sick. I mean, um, two great young quarterbacks with Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Now, of course, before the playoffs started, I said the Ravens were going to win the Super Bowl. I also said they would beat the Seahawks in the Super Bowl. So I clearly don't know everything. But because of that, I'm going to have to take the Ravens here to, to win this game. And... This might be a hot take. I still think that Lamar Jackson is the best individual player in this game. Cleve, what do you think of this game? As much as I don't want to, I don't want to go against this pick. I got, I got the Ravens as well. Since Lamar's um, has came back from uh, whatever was wrong with them, uh, they've been red hot. So I um, and then Matt said earlier that you know playoff games and you know it'll be interesting to see him, Kim Cook. Um, he's such a weapon and he's. He's gonna, he's gonna go, he's gonna go. So, uh, Matt, I'm going Ravens. I like the Bills on a last-second field goal to cover. <laughs> oh, so somebody's looking at the line. They must, oh. got, they must got Scott Norwood, bro. <laughs> Steve Christie ain't walking through that door. Oh, no, I think that uh, I think yeah, Tyler Bass is a great rookie kicker, so he'd be he'd be fine if it if it came down to that. So yeah, Cleve, the line is the Bills by two and a half, which really means that. If these two teams are playing at a neutral site, the Ravens would be favored by half a point. So, you know, that's that's it's good. It's going to be close. It's going to be a close, really good game. Could go either way. I'm officially saying that the I think the Ravens are going to win. Matt is saying the Bills. Cleve, do you still on the Ravens? Yeah, I, I just I just think that um, Matt said earlier about Buffalo not being able to run. Uh, that might that might be a situation. You know, to slow the game down. But but if if uh, if if the Ravens have a game like they had against the Bengals and then they just had the la- you know the last week, it's going to be yep. tough to beat those I, guys. I completely agree. Uh, so then Sunday at three oh five p.m. we have the number one seed Chiefs hosting the number six seed Cleveland Browns. I actually think that this game could be kind of close because of the way Cleveland likes to play. The issue is that Cleveland can get moved out of the script that they like, which is where they run the ball with Chubb and Hunt a billion times. If they fall behind, if there's a team they can fall behind against, it's going to be Kansas City. Khalid, what do you think of this one? So Matt and I talked offline about this earlier today. Um, the Chiefs can be beat, 
But um, <laughs> until I see them get beat, Man. I'm going with the Chiefs. I think the Chiefs, mainly because, to your point, Dave, the, the Chiefs put up a ton of points, which completely takes the Browns out of their element of what they'd like to do. But also, the Chiefs under Andy Reid are just exceptionally well-prepared and coached after a bye. I think the last like six games, they've scored 32 or more mm-hmm. points in their game in their in their games after the bye specifically in the playoffs so i like the chiefs here yeah i think i think that the chiefs are going to win this game as well because you know we mentioned that they could put up a bunch of points early which means that the game will fall into baker mayfield i think baker has shown an ability to win games now um you know himself you know cleave but I don't know. I don't know if at Kansas City against Patrick <laughs> Mahomes in the playoffs that Baker's quite up to that challenge yet. And that's not even a knock on him. Yeah. That's just more, you know, more praise for the Chiefs. So the Chiefs are favored by nine and a half, and I actually think that they're going to run away with this one. I mean, so win for Cleveland. I mean, they're you know they can they can hang their hats and they're finally contenders. So yeah, they can finally hang their. Yeah, hats no, we so mentioned something. earlier in the year that Cleveland is go- that, that team's going to be a problem for a while going forward. They know what they want to do. They got all their players there. They're going to get mm-hmm. Odell Beckham back. Like, they're, yeah, Cleveland, mm-hmm. even if they do get stomped in this game, they could be the number one seed next year. So, uh, and then the yep. final game we have here, we have uh, Sunday at 6.40 p.m. We have the number two seed Saints hosting the number five seed Tampa Bay Frontiers. And uh, the Saints are already two and zero with two with two butt kickings of camp already this year. Cleve, do you see this going any any uh, differently than before? No, I um I I, I want to say I want to say Tom Brady and the, and the and the Bucks pull it out, but the Saints um I just see I just see them multi dimensional, and then I could see Taysom Hill having a lot of different looks in his game as well. Um, so yeah, I I think the Saints uh, Saints win this one. Well, I picked the Buccaneers to go to the Super Bowl, and I think because it yeah, because it is difficult to beat a team three times in the same season, I think that that adds a different factor. The Bucks are playing well, even if Dave thinks they're fraudulent, uh, and sometimes that momentum has a lot to do with it. And it wasn't as if the Saints looked like world beaters against the Bears like I wanted them to. So I do think because of the familiarity with these teams that I think the Buccaneers have a chance to win because there's no crowd here in the Dome. Uh, and it's not as if weather can be a factor there, but I do like them to win. Um, and I think I could see the under in this particular scenario. What's the over under? 50. Ooh. Oh, that's a, that's a, that's a good Ooh. line. Yeah. 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 That's, <laughs> oh man. Like, yeah, that's 27 to 23 and a half ish. Uh, 26 and a half, yeah. 23 and a half. Um, New Orleans. Where's the game? New Orleans. Yeah. Oh shit. Yeah. yeah so the, game, the game's in. So yeah. the game's in New Orleans in Week Nine. So around election time, the Saints beat the Bucks thirty-eight to three. They whooped them in Week One as well. Mm-hmm. I actually agree with Matt that I think that it's hard to beat three times in a row. Teams get familiar. The Bucks are way better than that. Now the Saints are only favored by three and a half at home, which means on a neutral site, they think this game is basically a push. I am mm-hmm. I'm still taking the Saints here, not just for bit equity, because I've been saying that the Bucks are frauds. I do think the Saints will actually win will actually win this game, but I will not be shocked if Tampa does actually come through this game and I have to give some apologies to Coach Aaron to the Fraudineers next week. 
Oh man, I would I would actually <laughs> love to hear that. Yeah, I mean, if they, yeah, because just getting through <laughs> the Saints <laughs> here would prove that they're not frauds. I do want to I do want to be when Matt predicted the Bucks for the Super Bowl last week. I did say that the Bucks could make the Super Bowl because I don't think they're terrible. I just don't think they're as good as their record. And if you're not 11 and five good, you shouldn't make it the conference title game. So just winning this game would show that they're not fraudulent. And I would have to eat eat some uh, eat some crow. I mean, we just seen we just seen a change earlier this you know this year. Brady comes in for for um, James Winston, and it's a different it's a different team. It's not a it's not a a world beater, but it's a different team because you have a you have a, a, a quarterback who's pretty much seen a lot. He's you know Brady Brady knows how to win, and that's that's great. But I think the Saints at home, um, in their building in their confines, and with the kind of Weapon that Kamara is, and 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 um, yes, yeah, he's been for touchdown last week. Wasn't he? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so we're talking, we're talking high-powered offense. But again, you know, Brown and and Brady hooking up. Yep, absolutely. So, um, in a second here, we're gonna go to Matt for his uh, feel-good story of the week. I'm just gonna give a quick college football review. The college football national title game was played last night, and. Thankfully, Ohio State lost to Alabama. I don't know the final score offhand. It was a lot of points to a lot of points. Both these teams have really powerful offenses. Um, but the main thing here is that the Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, wide receiver for Alabama, who's the first wide receiver to win the Heisman Trophy since Desmond Howard. Um, oh, it's bullshit because Larry Fitzgerald should have won. In the first half of this game, yeah. Devontae Smith went for 12 catches for 215 yards and three touchdowns. That's like a... That's a that's a decent stat line for an NFL that's, that's receiver a in a full game for the Jets leading receiver. <laughs> yes, that's that's uh yeah that's 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 pretty insane. So we got to see a game full of draft prospects, and we'll be talking more about the college players as we get more towards towards the draft. But the season they were able to conclude, and it did finish with Ohio State losing. So that so that's good. Matt, tell us something good about Michigan. Oh, uh, Nick, uh, he can take something away from the season because uh, for, for those of you who don't know, the, the game was broadcast not only on CBS by the big crew, but also on Nickelodeon randomly. And I caught half of that broadcast. And at the end, Nick was voted the MVP, the Nickelodeon Valuable Player. So congrats to you, Mitch, on the offseason. You have something to look forward to. Wait, you're telling me that, Nick, that, that, that <laughs> Nickelodeon chose Mitch? Oh, did you? Uh, it was voted on by, I guess, the viewers, who I assume most of them were either kids or parents with their kids. Unless yeah, yeah, he got say. like fifty percent of the vote, which was a landslide uh, over everybody else. And I thought, you know what? Good for you, Mitch. You sucked in this game, but Nickelodeon appreciates you. <laughs> does, does he get to get slimed or something? Like, why would you pick somebody who sucks as your MVP? So I believe Sean Payton got slimed after the game. And I have to say that another feel-good story was that the broadcast that they put on, while it was obviously Nickelodeon-centric and, and more towards kids, like the announcers that they had, like Nate Burleson was one of, he was the color guy. And uh, I think they had the, uh, radio, the, the, the radio guy for the Clippers. <laughs> and they actually did a really good job of not toning down the game to the point where it it was just a mockery of, of, of football, but they lightened it up to be able to like kind of say why things were and, and explain it for what they assumed were the kids that were watching it. But yeah, I guess they had some voting of the most valuable player for the game, and it was called the MVP, and Mitch blew him away. I could I could have easily seen a seven year old Dave there like that's garbage like and just like speaking out against it and 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 trying to get oh, the yeah, ball to turn. Oh yeah, seven year old Dave walking in a prodigy pissed as hell. 
you know, screaming about how there's no way Bernie Kovac should have won this award. They sucked. They got killed. It's great. It's great. Oh my god. All right. So we, you know, we had a we had a great. I mean, I can't believe you know, you know, through all of it all, man, we made it. What is it? Seventeen weeks now that this show has been on consistently because the games were all played. They yep. played all 256 games plus these playoff games. So, it, you know, I don't know if that's a testament to the NFL. Don't give a shit. You're going to play. Or if these guys really, really was like, you know what? I really want to play this year and and make it happen. So um, it's been really, really good, you know, with you guys. And I'm looking forward to next week's show and, and kind of doing that. Uh, okay, what you, you know, got for us to go out the, with? That's a little bit of thing on the pandemic here. Things are, the numbers are just way out of control. January will be the deadliest month so far. And it's not even going to be close. Um, so, you know, January 7th, the day after the insurrection at the Capitol, we had over 4,000 deaths from COVID and it's sort of been shuffled to the back burner because, mm. you know, the, the existential threat to democracy posed by the person in the white house right now, but this is, this is nuts right now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody please continue. I know it's, it's, it's hard and the weather sucks for, you know, the Northern half of the country, but please keep social distancing, isolate, stay away from people. Like literally, everybody has this disease now. Just treat everybody as if they're as if they're infected. Treat yourself as if you're infected, and let's uh, stay safe. Matt, uh, I echo Dave's sentiments. I look forward to next week, and uh, you know, everybody just stay safe and sane out there. All right, great show, guys. See you, and I will see you guys next week. Peace.